Right, if you've been coming in the last few weeks, we're, we're doing a series called um, Simply Jesus, just looking at different kind of attributes, characteristics of Jesus. And today I have the privilege of sharing about Jesus the Savior. But I always, whenever I start off, maybe it's because of the way I'm wired, I always want to just focus firstly in on why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we particularly speaking on this issue? And um, there's kind of three um, main reasons we're, we're looking at simply Jesus. Firstly, um, those who have been coming to this church for the last year, we're doing something called the Year of Biblical Literacy. And, um, and as part of that, we're working our way through the Bible. We believe that all the Bible is useful. And uh, so we want to engage with all the Bibles. So we started in roughly around Genesis last January, and now we're going to come into the Gospels where we learn about the life of Jesus. Secondly, as people who call themselves Christians, as people who call themselves followers of Jesus, we are trying to become more like Jesus. Nigel did a talk a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about this idea of discipleship, this idea of Jesus being a, a rabbi, a teacher, and the idea of being with the rabbi, becoming like the rabbi, and doing what the rabbi does, doing what Jesus does. And this is what it's about. People sometimes ask me what my, my job is, and um, I can give myself two formal titles, and I don't particularly like either of those. Uh, I could say I'm a pastor. I could use a phrase, being a missionary, those who know my, my story working overseas, I particularly dislike that title. And so the way I normally ask it, when people normally say to me, what do you do, Paul? I normally answer with a question, or I start making a statement, and I, I go, I says, it's interesting, most people seem to love Jesus, but they don't seem to like Christians. I said, my job is to try to help people live more like Jesus. And, and so that's partly, again, why we're doing this series. This is why we're looking at this series on Simply Jesus, is learning about Jesus so that we, as followers of Jesus, can try to become more like him. So if Jesus was here and I was here, that I would reflect more what he was like in my community, in my situation. And then lastly, one of our statements, our vision statements, is we have this phrase, to lead our communities into life. And, uh, and that can mean many different things, but we're told in John 14, verse 6, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So another way of interpreting that vision statement is that we want to lead people into Jesus. And if we want to lead people into Jesus in the communities that we are in, it, it would really help if you understood Jesus better. It would help me. And so that's the reason why we're doing this um, series. And we're going to be looking at a passage in Luke chapter 19. It's the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And as I read it, I just want you to really enter into the story. You see, the Bible is more than a book just to read like any other book. The Bible and its stories are an invitation for us to enter into that story, to find ourselves in that story, to engage in the story, to find your story in the story to find your rewritten, redeemed story in there. And if I had time, I'd read this passage at least three times. I don't have time to read it three times. Because you'll find that in this passage, there's kind of like three main characters. There's Jesus, there's this person called Zacchaeus, which you soon know about when I start reading it, and the crowd. And I kind of want you to imagine in some ways 
And this is why I would read it three times in the ideal world, to imagine yourself as each one of those people. Imagine yourself as Jesus. Imagine yourself as Zacchaeus. Imagine yourself as the crowd. And what some of the thoughts, some of the feelings that go through your mind. So looking at Luke 19, I've got to take my glasses off nowadays to read. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to the house of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give you half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save that was lost. And um, just before kind of diving into the, this passage, there's so much stuff in this passage. I was thinking about it. I was thinking I can get at least talk, two talks out of this passage, but I'll cram it into, into this talk. And, um, but before diving into it, I just want to give you a little bit of a, a backdrop, an understanding. You see, when we talk about Zacchaeus being a tax collector, it's easy to think, well, okay, he's not very popular. You know, most people, my apologies if you work for the uh, tax collection. <laughs> but, um, but if you're not aware, you're not generally the most popular um, person. But you see, it's more, same tax, as Zacchaeus was a tax collector. It's more than his, like, his dislikes. It's more than he's kind of the, the baddie in the pantomime that when Zacchaeus appears, you go, boo, hiss. He, he, he's more than that. And so I want to give you some imagery to try to understand, because as we understand Zacchaeus, then it helps us understand all the other characters in the story, and in particular Zacchaeus. And so as I kind of try to reflect, to kind of give you some thoughts about who Zacchaeus is, you know, I had various images come into my mind, and I don't want to upset you, but this is going to be what a tax collector would be regarded like. Uh, I love Second World War history, and if you know anything about Second World War history, at the end of the Second World War, there were various people that were known as collaborators, that collaborated with uh, the, the Nazis. You know, they were seen as traitors. They were seen as being part of the people that oppressed. They were seen as the enemy. They were hated. Uh, and some of the retribution that happened after the Second World War reflected that. In this church, it was interesting, it was advertised um, earlier on the, the sheet, you know, we have a uh, anti-trafficking prayer meeting for people that are trafficked and we you know we we, we pray for those people we you know we, we are involved in different areas of missions we do work in Romania we do work in Brazil that work we're kind of kind of prostitutes and former prostitutes and people that are being trafficked you know we, we have this focus in on the victims and that's a good thing but to give a comparison Zacchaeus is maybe like the pimp Zacchaeus would be seen as like the one who does the traffic. Maybe to use a horrific story that's been in the news uh, in the last few days. 
Zacchaeus would be like the person who's been accused of kind of trafficking the 39 people that got killed. I don't want to kind of underplay it, but I don't think I'm overplaying it. Zacchaeus would be somebody who would be seen with utter disgust, contempt. The low, the low, the kind of person, if they put him into prison, they would have to put protection around him to protect him from other prisoners. So I want you to kind of get that, because it's easy to kind of miss that in our kind of context when we think, oh, he's just a tax collector. He's more than that. And part of the reason probably he wanted to run ahead because he didn't want to risk being in a crowd. You know, there'd probably be a few that would think nothing of killing him. So that's the backdrop. Now we get Jesus coming into the story. And, um, and let's start at the end, rather than at the beginning. And uh, we see the writer in verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that that was lost. I'm going to keep clicking. He's not clicking forward. And, um, you know, I could have asked you if I had time, I was doing some training, you know, why did Jesus come? If you've got really good outside, you can see a whole load of stuff in the background. Why did Jesus come? And you could have given me uh, lots of different answers. I could ask the communities and the friends that we are in, you know, why did Jesus come? And it'd be interesting to hear what they say. And there's a few places in Scripture where it tells us why Jesus came, and here's one of them. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that was lost. This was like his manifesto. This was like his ministry. And in some ways, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, this should be part of our manifesto as signed up members, shall we say, that we're there to seek and save that which is lost. What does that mean? What does that look like? It's a nice phrase. So what can we see from the story of Jesus? Jesus loves to come and to seek and save. He always has and he continues to do so. We see this in a, there's a particular passage a few chapters before in Luke 15 where we're told actually three parables of Jesus. The lost son, the lost coin, and what's called the, the story of the prodigal son. And in each one of those stories, we find that the person is seeking something that is lost. One of the ones that particularly I like and enjoy is the story of what's called the, the parable of the lost sheep. And in that story, there's a, a kind of farmer, a shepherd, and he has 100 sheep and he's lost 99. I mean, he's got 99, he's lost one. That would be pretty bad if he lost all that lot of crumbs. <laughs> yeah, it'd be serious problems. And, um, and I love the way where he just kind of leaves the 99, and you, part of you thinks, like, isn't that kind of crazy? We're not told he left them with somebody else. We tell him he, he left them to find the one, we begin to get a glimpse, an insight into the heart of the Father. And Jesus said in John that everything he did was to reveal the Father. And as we look at the story of Zacchaeus, begin to also look at it through the lens. What do we learn about God the Father? What is he showing? And we see that he is somebody who's looking for the lost. He's always seeking the lost. Isn't that encouraging? Do you ever feel lost? There's probably a few people here who just kind of feel lost. Like, what's, what's, what's my purpose? What's my meaning? What's happening now? What's this about? He's, he, he's seeking us out. 
The other thing I love is we're not told how things got lost. There's no judgment on how this kind of coin or person or sheep got lost. There's not even an explaining how this lost thing is going to get back. There's not even a lecture. We're not told the shepherd got the sheep and he went, you silly old sheep. Why did you do that? Don't wander off again. We don't see that in this story. We don't see it in the story of the prodigal son. All we see is the heart of the father pursuing that which is lost. That relentless pursuit of the lost. And again, I want to look at it in two ways. One, in sense of utter awe and wonder. And secondly, what does that mean for us? Have you ever lost anything? Some of you might be thinking, oh no, that brings back memories. <laughs> and, uh, you know, something's come to my mind. I, I hate losing um, bank cards. I'm one of these people that if I lose them, I want to know. Like, if I don't know by the end of the day, you know, the next day, I, I'm cancelling. My wife is completely different for me. She seems to be able to go for days on end, not that worried or concerned about it. I'm like, where is it? Find it, look for it. We can't just leave it anywhere. The other thing I sometimes lose are my, my glasses, particularly now I've, I've only down to one pair, it's even more crucial. You know, where are they, where are they? You know, okay, you know, a reward to the family, a pound whoever finds my glasses. I need to drive. <laughs> and, uh, or maybe the ultimate one, which some of you might be able to relate to, losing a child. Yes. And, uh, and again, again, insight, you know, we have four children. And I know that I've kind of lost my children a couple of times in kind of big shopping centers. And the horror that goes through your mind, the horror of losing your child, the horror of thinking, I'm going to have to tell Katie I lost his child, she's going to kill me. <laughs> and, um, and you just can't go, well, we've got three more. <laughs> no, that's not going to be any good. And you see, begin to retrace your steps. You think, where did I lose them? You know, you start to look at them. Because when you lose think of worth, you pursue it, you look out, you look for it. And so this is part of what is bad. We are worth a lot. Do you know that? He's pursuing us. He's also pursuing other people. See, there's a difference between being lost and just something forgotten. As soon as you forget stuff, you know, it's out of mind, and generally that stuff that isn't crucial is the kind of thing that you find behind a sofa. You know, when you kind of pull up the, the back of the sofa because day you decide that you've got some spare time and let's just clean that. <laughs> or the kind of thing you find in the wardrobe. In our family, we tell our children, empty your bags. And sometimes being parents, the real confidence and faith in our children, we just let them get on with that. And then maybe three or four weeks into the summer holiday, there's that distinctive smell happening from underneath the stairs. And you discover that something was forgotten. It's kind of like the, the sandwich, the apple, the banana that's now just, yes, it's not looking anything like a banana. You see, those are things that have been forgotten. But Jesus didn't say he came to seek the things that were forgotten. He came to seek the things that were lost. These are things of value. He's pursuing us. What does that mean to be like Jesus? What does that mean? If 
if you're a follower of Jesus and you say you follow Jesus, this should be part of our characteristic. What does that mean? I've been wrestling with this. I don't have any easy answers. Can I take it away and um, discuss it over your, your lunch over this week? What does it mean? What does it look like? What does it look like for me? What does it look like for you to seek and save the lost? How should that affect how we spend our time and our energy, our lifestyle? And secondly, what encouragement does that give us that he pursues us, that he's chasing after us? I was doing um, some coaching at various roles, and one of my roles uh, in the UK vineyard is uh, my coach, so I, I, I coach um, church planters. And I was um, speaking to one, and um, they were just talking about some of the pressures and some of the words they were using were kind of effort and just a whole load of kind of weight over them. And, um, and I just had, you know, sometimes you just get a thought drop into your head. And, and I said, kind of, what was your relationship like with your father? And they said, you know, my relationship with my father was I was always pursuing him. I was always trying to uh, get his attention, get him to take notice uh, of me. And I said, oh, let's just, I said, that's going to act as a war because if you have that kind of mentality, then that's going to feed into the way that you try to approach God the Father. You'll always have this aspect where you're just trying to earn his recognition. Thinking, well, if I, I don't know, I wasn't here, I was away last week when James and Lynn were speaking, but I can very much imagine that even in an audience this size, there would be people that would think, well, if I've been good this week, then maybe God will heal me. That's somehow I have to earn the favor and the goodness of God. And I said, that's not the truth. It's not the truth we see in this passage. I said, let's just, just take some time in this coaching session. I said, let's just add, ask God to turn up and see what he says. And a few minutes later, she said, I used to always have to go down the corridor to his office because he works at home. But in this one, I saw the father coming down the corridor to my room. He wanted to see me. And I said, that's great. I said, let's just, I said, let's not rush on from that. I said, how does that make you feel? And she says, oh, that just brings such relief. That just brings such great joy. And we prayed into that. And I feel that there's some people here that just need to encounter God. And so I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit just come. Because soon as I leave things to the end, but I'm just, uh, if you're okay, I just, I believe that the, the Father's here. It says in that passage, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. God is here. He's never going to left, but he's here. But as soon as he makes himself more manifest, like he literally comes in such a way that it feels like he's entering. And so I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit. And I just encourage you, because for each one of you here, he wants to speak into your life. And particularly those of you, you just feel like you just always, it just seems distance. It feels like there's a war between them. When people talk about God and talking to him and being in relationship with him, it just feels like you don't really understand. I believe that God wants to just come. So if you're all right, I'm just going to, you can just sit there. You might find it easier just to shut your eyes. You don't have to. I'm not going to do like a trick or anything. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit just to come. So I just say, Holy Spirit, just come right now. Enter this room. 
and pass through. Come and just speak to your, your children. Just come, Holy Spirit. more of your Holy Spirit. So for some of you, like Zacchaeus, is just looking at you eye to eye right now. Just enjoy that moment. God's here. Just see him moving through this room. It might be a sense of peace you're feeling. That's God. You might just hear him whispering your name. He enjoys saying your name. There's at least one person here where you've wanted your dad just to call your name and just to say he loves your name. And he's saying that to you now. And he's saying he loves you. He likes being with you. That's a revolutionary truth for some of you. Your dad likes to be with you. Oh, we thank you that you're here. And that you come looking for us. Each one of us. We're not forgotten. Maybe sometimes we're lost. But you know where we are. And you call us out in love. You're the one who pursues us and always pursues us. Thank you. Amen. Kind of didn't want to bring that to an end, but I did say I'd like two talks on a cramming. But I'd encourage you just to keep that. Even as I'm speaking, keep engaged with God. He, he is here. But there's a few other things I feel that we can learn as we look at different characteristics.
relation to Zacchaeus, and we'll come into him in more detail. But one thing I want to draw attention to him is interesting that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. People want to see Jesus. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have discussion with people and um, sometimes we have events, like we're running an alpha course, we're running at the moment, where it's a kind of basic introductory course to Jesus. So sometimes we have events where we say, this is a good opportunity to invite people to. And I don't know if you have this kind of discussion, like I do with my wife sometimes, and we're thinking, who shall we invite? And we think, well, this, people, this person seems to be a bit more interested, a bit more open. Yeah, we should invite them. And I think for the average person, if Zacchaeus was somehow connected with us, um, we wouldn't have thought of him as being somebody that was open. We were gonna fall, would have thought of him as maybe somebody who was kind of more skeptical, bitter. Probably Zacchaeus wasn't on anybody's radar. But it's interesting, he wanted to see Jesus. And this is kind of, in some ways, a throwaway comment, but a serious comment. As you go away and you begin to pray and talk to God, as you go into your communities, there's the kids all around us. There are people that you might think there's no way they're interested in God. Maybe the people that are the most critical at you at work. Maybe the people, if you're in college or something like that, you know, they, they kind of, you know, they're always the ones that always seem to want to argue. There's a kids out there that are open. Let that be an encouragement to you. So Jesus calls the kids out and says, you know, I want to come to your house. I want to hang out. And that is massive. That's probably why I gave you that insight right at the beginning about who Zacchaeus um, was and how they'd see it. And you see kind of this hostility that would normally be aimed towards Zacchaeus starts to shift towards Jesus. You know, it was scandalous what Jesus was saying. And it wasn't just like, if it was just courteous and go, hi, Zacchaeus. You know, good morning. That would have been, you know, in some ways scandalous enough because in some ways they wouldn't want to acknowledge him. Most people would have had the best maybe sworn at him or said a whole load of things behind his back. It's interesting. Jesus seems to be a lot less judgmental than we are. And, uh, I'm going to put there. Yeah. You know, we sh- in, in the natural, we would be offended. I think if, maybe it's just me, maybe you guys are way better than me at living like Jesus. I, if I was in the crowd, I would be offended. I have a high value for fairness uh, in my life. When I see things which I don't think are fair in various dis- situations, it just really winds me up. But Jesus, I found for me, and maybe it's not for you, but he, he kind of pushes my, my boundaries way beyond what I'm comfortable with. You see, there's a famous song, you know, Amazing Grace. You know, it talks about a God who saves a wretch like me. See, maybe I can contemplate God saving a wretch like me, but maybe not a wretch like Zacchaeus. It's interesting. We sometimes put like a, a barrier. Normally we, we scrape in. And other people don't. And we talk about wanting to be more like Jesus. This is, I mean, this, this is hard stuff. I'm not saying this is, this is easy. There's a vineyard pastor called Mike Bickle. He says, God offends the mind to reveal the heart. And again, if I was doing training, I'd say take four or five minutes to reflect on this. But how is your heart? How, how's my heart? When I was reading this story, I was thinking, wow. 
I'm aware of this person who's been arrested. You know, obviously I'm praying, you know, for the victims, their parents, their families. I was thinking, have I prayed for the lorry driver this week? And his family? To be honest, I haven't. Maybe you guys have. My heart's got a way to go yet. It's never like the now. God, I can't even remember his name. But God, the lorry driver, Lord, is somebody you love. And Lord, when he was born, you were there. And you delighted in him, Lord, and you had plans that were just amazing for him. You had plans, Lord, just like you are the giver of life, Lord. You want each one of us to be a giver of life, Lord. And that was a purpose and plan and reason for his existence, God. And I just pray, Lord, wherever he is right now, God, you will meet with him and you will meet with his family. Amen. Thank you for allowing me to do that. And then we got Zacchaeus. Just finished to me. And, um, and we get the story of Zacchaeus and, and Jesus calls him out. Jesus says, no, I want to come and hang out with you. And I talked a little bit about that earlier. If, you know, if, what does that bring? For some of you, it might bring relief. For some of you, it might bring excitement. For some of you, it might bring some aspect of fear. See, Jesus, Zacchaeus is inviting him into his house. And to invite, in that kind of culture, and like I've worked in the Middle East, it's more than just kind of like a physical place. It's like inviting you into my community and inviting you into my way of life. The word there, house, actually means oikos. It means community into my way of living. You can have full reign. You don't just let, you know, let people into your house. And um, Jesus comes into that place. Are there areas in our lives where God's saying, let me in? And as Jesus comes in, it has an effect. It's interesting to see the effect. Often we talk about Jesus affecting our lives and... Um, inviting him in and forgiveness and healing and what the word we call repentance which means beginning to think and do lives differently but we don't often talk about restitution but the result of great love is great transformation and Zacchaeus when he encountered the love of God it had an impact you know he says there you know if I've cheated anyone out of anything I will pay back four times the amount you know, that was more than he had to do by law. He could have well have gone broke, I don't know. And, uh, and again, this is a challenge I heard this week. And sometimes when we do wrong, we need to do more than just say sorry. We often say that to our children, but often as adults, we stop doing that. And I just throw that out, and I just leave that with the spirit. Sometimes it means that maybe we have to pick up the phone first. Maybe we need to write the letter Maybe we need to get the checkbook out. But that should be the response of God's goodness. And again, it's becoming like Jesus, make it moving. One of the things you notice about this story is what I call the order of grace. You know, Jesus called out Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus came down and did Zacchaeus come down and said, you know, um, you know I'm going to make everything right. I'm going to give all this money back. And then Jesus goes, well done, good. 
Now I'm going to come to your house. No. Jesus said, I'm going to your house. Before Zacchaeus had done anything to show repentance or retrib- you know, is going to do, do something in response, Jesus went first. I don't know about you, often I have in my mind, once they've done this or once they've done that, then they will get the benefit of my grace, of my compassion. <laughs> Maybe it's just me, I don't know. I can be, they're saying this church are quite vulnerable from the pulpit. Maybe I model it quite well, I don't know. And, uh, but Jesus offers first. I mean, that's risky. You know, his reputation, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm just coming around your house for having a meal. His whole reputation and who he was was on, the, was on the line. There was a cost to this. And Jesus says, despite the past, despite the present, he says, I want to be with you. Grace changes everything. If you've been around church, you know, we love to sing the song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. And uh, how amazing it is. It changes things. My challenge to me, my challenge to you, is like, how much I'm becoming like, Jesus, how grace-filled, grace-releasing am I? And some of you need to just receive that as well. Some of you are thinking, as you read this, you can look at it from the side of Jesus as Zacchaeus. Some of you might think, you feel like you're Zacchaeus, and you look at the, maybe the mess or the lostness in your life. And you're thinking, maybe if I can take some time and I, just, I can just clear it up a bit, you know, make my, my um, just sort a little bit out, then maybe I can invite Jesus. And Jesus says, forget about it. Let me in first, and I'll sort out the mess. Let me work with you. And I believe there's a few people here, and, and just the Father saying, let me in. Let me in. And you just said, wait, wait, wait. And the father said, no, no, let me, let me in. It's like, if I can do this, then it's like, no, no, no. Let me in. Let me come into it. And that's today. Jesus said, you know, today salvation has come to this house. There's no day like today. There's a couple of verses in Hebrews 3 that says, today if you hear his voice, respond. Not that you won't hear that voice again, but if you learn to say no to that voice now, today, then it will be easier to say no another time. He doesn't stop inviting. It's just the more that we say no, the harder it is for us to hear. My question for each one of us, and for some of you, is on different levels. There's some, for some of you, I've been talking about the Father's love and this relationship with God, and you've never really done that before. You never really asked the Father into your life. And I'm going to take a, a minute, you know, in a minute, I'm just going to create some space and time for that. But for others of you, you would say, Yes, I am a follower of Jesus. But Jesus is saying, are there any areas you need to invite me into? Are there areas in your life where you need Jesus the Savior to come into?
Are there areas of your life where Jesus as Savior needs to come into? So again, I got actually I got a little bit of time. So let's again maybe just shut your eyes if you're okay with this. And um, maybe just allow God to speak to you and say, you know, just say to him, Father, are there areas I need to invite you into? Let me give you a big clue from my experience as a pastor. If there are areas in your life where there's fear or hopelessness, then it's likely that you haven't fully invited Jesus into that place. So you think, what, what is Paul talking about? Any area of your life where there feels to be fear or hopelessness, it could be a situation, whatever it is, a relationship, then maybe this is a good time to see Jesus come in. And while everybody's kind of eyes are closed, if there's anybody here who'd say, you know what, I never asked Jesus into my life. Then all you need to do is just, you know, kind of repeat this after me. It's like, Jesus, I want you to take my life. I want you to take the, the mess I've made of my life. I want you to be my friend. I want to befriend you. I want you to take control of my life. I want you to be my friend and my savior. And if he said that last prayer, it would really help me um, in the sense of praying for you. If you could just like, you don't have to put your hand right up in the air. Everybody's eyes are closed. Just to, just wave your, ha- wave your hand at me. Because uh, it'd be such a joy to talk to you afterwards. So if you prayed that prayer for the first time, just, you know, Feel free to tell me. I've got one more thing to say, and I'm just going to finish this bit with prayer. I just say... God, give us the courage to keep saying yes to you, to keep inviting you into every area of our life, God. Lord, we sang earlier, Lord, that all we want is your presence and the freedom and the joy and the love that brings. And so invade, occupy every area of our life, we pray, God. Amen. And then just to finish off, I love this story. I feel like I get a lot of things out of this story. And because uh, there's a couple of phrases I really like in this story. And uh, you got this phrase right at the beginning. It says, Jesus was passing through. And then it says, today salvation has come to his house. And like I said, that word there means oikos community. And, uh, and the way I interpret it is, it's more than just Zacchaeus encounters God. 
his community encounters God, whatever that may be, his wider family. And um, I love it because he talks about this idea of passing through. In this church, we use a phrase differently to passing through. If you've been around this church for a while, we often use this phrase, scattered servants. I'm not obsessed with the, kind of the name, but the principle. And really, it means that as people in this church, we want to be scattered servants. People that wherever we're going, whatever we're passing through, because we're passing through lives all the time. When you leave this door, even today as you go, and we're encountering people, whether whatever your work situation is, whether you're retired, whether you're unemployed, it doesn't matter. We are passing through people's lives and communities. And we want to be like Jesus with an awareness. You see, this story, we forget that in this story that Jesus is fully man. And so he's totally dependent on God and he's totally working on the principle that we're told later on that the Father is always at work. I often say one of my desires is to figure out quicker and faster what the Father is up to and then have courage to run with it. And Jesus is a a great example. He's going around life thinking, what's the Father up to? And we have to remind ourselves. I don't have it on me at the moment because it would start annoying me, but I have a buzzer that goes off every 23 minutes. People always go, why 23 minutes? Just because I know from research, if it goes off at a set time, that eventually you just ignore it. 23 minutes creates a randomness. And I use it for any area of my life where I'm trying to grow. I call it the discipline of the, bu- the buzzer. I'll maybe write a book about it one day. <laughs> celebration of discipline, celebration of the buzzer. And, uh, and so one of the things I'm trying to grow at is becoming a scattered servant. So when it buzzes, in my mind, I begin to think, what's God up to? And all of a sudden you have to do that. If not, I'd have a whole load of buzzers to be sold at the back. <laughs> but, uh, but what I'm saying is, as a follower of Jesus, we've got to figure out ways to make this a lifestyle. Because I don't know about you, I sometimes can go the whole day uh, and not thinking with this mindset. And I think it's not just a mindset, it's not just a concept. I think this is part of the Father heart of God. Part of this seeking and saving the lost. And when it goes off, it kind of makes me excited. And a little bit I like about this is, there's one thing to being aware of a situation, then it's taking a risk and step, stepping out into the supernatural. See, we, we see two things happen. If you read um, scripture and commentaries, often people talk about the first. They talk about that Zacchaeus, apart from the pictures you see, he was probably quite hidden. He didn't want to draw attention to himself. Often when you see pictures of this story, uh, actually I could have gone back, but I won't. Uh, you know, it doesn't take much to find him. But if you get the context of what I've told you about, he would be, he doesn't want to be found. And so people often say that God gave him a word of knowledge, like, look up at that point, because at that point you better see him. The other thing I love about, and this story, I only learned about this recently. I don't know, some of you might love names. And um, do you know what Zacchaeus means? I never met. I, I didn't know either until I looked this up a few weeks ago. I felt God just asked me to look at it. It means clean. It means pure. I would like to argue that probably apart from maybe his wife and his mum, he probably hasn't been called that for years because his whole lifestyle, and you've got to remember, in the Middle East, your name is a declaration of who you are. I worked in the Middle East for, for a number of years, for those who don't know me. And so names are crucial and, and important. So when they were seeing him, they wouldn't be yelling out, you think Zacchaeus, just think of like, pure, clean. 
This wouldn't be fiends that he had been called for a long time. I suspect there was a whole load of other fiends had been called, but not that. And so I believe that we would call that, for me, I would call this a word of prophecy. A word of prophecy is when we speak over somebody what the Father is saying about them, calling them forth into the original design and purpose. So Jesus is coming along as a scattered servant passing through. And in that mind, he's aware their father is up to something. And God says, look up, that's the person I want you to speak to. And then he has a word that transforms his life. Have you ever wondered why Zacchaeus kind of reacts so strongly? All he said was like, called out his name and said, can I hang out with you? And he's like, I'll give all my money. It's more than, there's got to be something going on deeper because the, a, a word of knowledge, a word of prophecy brings transformation. And, it's, and I'd encourage you as a church to be scattered servants and to take risks and to step out in that. Because like I said, it's not just Zacchaeus that comes into life, his whole community comes into life. We can have this tagline, leading our communities into life and be repeating it for week after week, stick it on all our note-headed paper, but I don't want that. I want it to be part of my lifestyle, part of our lifestyle. And that's again why I love this story and I'm going to finish with that because it kind of tags on but I couldn't miss that opportunity to talk about one of my favourite subjects how are we growing in this see miracles and transformations occur in the passing through as we are attentive partners with what the father who is always at work is up to I'll repeat I should put that maybe in a slide just a phrase that came into my head miracles and transformations occur in the passing throughs, as we attentively partner with what the Father, who is always at work, is up to. Wow. <laughs> I don't know about you, but it's like, I, I want to do that. God, give me more courage. Make me more aware. Now, I've thrown out a whole load of stuff in my time. Is up. I might just hand over to Joe jo- jo- and let sort out the mess I created. But, uh, <laughs> but God's got a lot he wants to do here. There's a few things Joe add to it. I believe the Father is here with arms open wide pursuing you. I created a little bit of time during the service, but sometimes we need a little bit more time. Sometimes you need somebody to stand with you as you invite God into a situation. Some of the situations we're dealing with are difficult. And it's easy for me just to say, well, invite Jesus into that. I'm aware that can be really painful and difficult. And sometimes it's good just to have somebody with you that helps you do that. And also we see the power of the transformation of a word of prophecy. And uh, again, it brought life, it brought transformation. And so again, there'll be an opportunity we already asked some of you if you'd be willing to come and give a hand. But if you feel like, you know, I, I just need God to speak into my life. Particularly if you feel a sense of lostness, a sense of confusion. It's time to get some clarity this morning. And God's going to do that. Why don't, we, um, why don't we stand, Joe, why don't you come and give me a hand? Also some people that have... Um, just to come and help, give some ministry, because I think God wants to do quite a lot this morning.